All right, guys, getting close. Pretend that we like each other. <laughs> Welcome back to the Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Caroline Margolis. And I'm your co-host, Sarah Jardina. This podcast is presented by the Swampscott Public Library. Welcome back to the Librarians by the Sea podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Margolis. And I'm your co-host, Sarah Jardina. And today we are joined by our programming and reference librarian, Bernadette Burnman. Thanks for having me. <laughs> very excited to have you. Yeah. For your very first podcast. Oh, yeah. I've listened to lots of podcasts, never been on one. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very, very popular <laughs> podcast. <laughs> very Every cool time. Here. Five stars from everybody. <laughs> okay, so what we usually do is uh, get into what we're reading. So you want to start with that? Yeah, let's do it. So I have been reading The Other Einstein by Marie Benedict. I just started it like the other day and um, I'm doing it for one of our really cool book clubs uh, themed reads. And this month's theme will be books written by Marie Benedict, which... We've never done, like, everybody picks the same author from the same author before, but that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So we're excited. I'm excited. And it's basically about Albert Einstein's wife, who um, people think he collaborated with a lot, and she did not get the credit for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'll let you guys know next time what happens. Very cool. This is your first time picking a theme based on an author, you said? Yeah, yeah. We don't normally... We normally just do, like, uh, I don't know. Themes. Themes. <laughs> Different themes. <laughs> Makes sense. Cool. Words. Words are hard in the morning. <laughs> I've never read anything by her, but it sounds like an interesting concept. Yeah. So, and I mean, she does... She writes a lot of historical fictions. So, um, and my group really likes historical fictions. As do many people. It's but. very popular at this library, I've noticed. Even yeah. with the teens... They read a lot. It's never been my favorite genre, but it sounds interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Would you like to go next? Um, sure. Um, well, right now I'm sort of... So I have a massive to-be-read uh, pile, and also um, I have a habit of reading multiple books at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so right now the two main ones I'm reading... Um, well, I'm sort of... Uh, well... The first one is uh, the, it's a uh, study guide for the CompTIA A-plus exam um, certification, basically studying to take it. And What is it? Oh, it, it's a um, IT certification, um, basically uh, learning how to um, uh, set up networks, uh, manage troubleshooting, and really, um, but m- more in-depth than like say turning something on and off it's really like uh fixing things and um knowing how to set things up and i just thought like it'd be a good thing to know yeah, to do. yeah. definitely especially at this job <laughs> yeah. yeah that's awesome do you like it is it helpful uh it's interesting so far uh mm-hmm. chapter one is literally safety and professionalism basically how to interact with people and do customer service things but also like in introduction to like details like it's interesting it's it is a bit information heavy uh because it's a lot of technical stuff but i'm hoping to do a lot more hands-on practice to sort of help nail the concepts (laughs) are you taking a class right now too or just reading it on your own i'm 
basically reading it on my own. There are classes available, but the general consensus I've read from uh, how to go about getting certified is that you can like learn how to do everything yourself and then take the test, which I think is handy and also it's kind of the cheaper route. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. And so that was the first book you're reading. What was the yeah. other one? So the other one, it's called uh, Dark Carnivals, Modern Horror and the Origins of American Empire by W. Scott Poole. Uh, it's really interesting. It's um, a relatively new book. Uh, and it's all about um, how about the history of horror movies in America and how that sort of reflects um, or the movies sort of reflect where uh, the history of America in a way uh, like yeah so it, it combines two of my favorite things which is like history and movies and especially history of movies and um, but it really goes into the cultural aspects of sort of the behind the scenes sort of meanings of films that were either like intentional or just how each decade in particular influenced what was considered to be a scary movie and it, I just started it um, although I got the book ages ago <laughs> <laughs> but it so far it's really good. That sounds really cool. Yeah. I like the history of horror. I don't know that much about the history of movies but horror in particular is very interesting how it's evolved over oh, the years yeah. yeah i don't watch a lot of horror movies but it's i always like to read about them like the wikipedias of yeah, them i do that too <laughs> it's just so that i know what's going like because i feel like some get like really popular and you're like a little out of like pop culture unless you watch them but i don't actually want to watch them because i'm a scaredy cat mm -hmm. yeah i definitely used to be very much a scaredy cat and um it wasn't until like recent sort of months I really sort of re-examined like why I was like avoiding horror and even though I was always like sort of interested in like a lot of the movies especially the older ones and but I was like mentally just deliberately avoiding them and once I stopped doing that it was like I discovered, hey, I've been missing out on some stuff that have been really interesting. And so uh, lately I've been doing a lot of catch up. <laughs> That's awesome. And we're actually going to circle back to that. Spoiler yes. alert for the later on in the podcast. <laughs> Keep a pin in that. Sarah, what have you been reading? I am almost finished with uh, What Moves the Dead by T. Kingfisher, which is a gorgeous book. I cannot recommend it enough. But it's essentially the, it's a retelling of The Fall of the House of Usher. By Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, so it just like expands on that and gives the nameless narrator a name and a character, Alex Easton. So Alex Easton has been summoned to the House of Usher by... Uh, they also use neo-pronouns in the book because it takes place in a fictional land which uses a fictional language. So they have a bunch of pronouns that we don't have. Okay. So it's Ka and Khan. So Ka is summoned to the House of Usher by uh, Roderick and Madeline Usher, obviously, uh, because they are sick and the house is in ruins and this letter kind of made it seem very dire. It's about the house Usher, this is the premise. Uh, but it's just really like gets into the gothic horror of it all and the decay of it all. It's gorgeous. The prose is beautiful and it has these moments of real gothic horror but also dry wit that makes it easy to get into mm -hmm. it's very well written right from the first line so if you enjoy the fall of the house of usher or edgar Allan poe stories absolutely read this book it's 
very good. Is this one like, um, is this like a graphic novel or is it like a written? Written. It's oh, okay. A, it's adult okay. fiction, not YA fiction this time. <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, it's very short. It's only like 160 pages, I think. Oh. Which is really good because I think in, I, somebody else might have taken this as a chance to like really expand upon this, but I think it was better to go shorter just because the story is already such a short, it mm-hmm. could very easily have been too uh, robust, really drowning in it, essentially. Yeah. But Kingfisher kept it short, kept it uh, the best parts in to really hit with the most kind of intensity. Okay. So if you want a quick gothic horror, absolutely pick this up. It's relatively new. I think it came out last year, two years ago. Okay. No, yeah, not. definitely. Interesting. Okay. Yes. Tangentially related to horror, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and then circling back to Bernadette, uh, so we're really excited to have you on the show today uh, uh, to talk about older movies, oh, Yeah, because that's what Bernadette's thing kind of has been as our programmer. You've had a couple yeah. of uh, movie things. Yeah, I've, I've always loved movies, and I, I actually minored in film in college. I probably would have majored in film if um, the university had that as an option, but unfortunately... They didn't, but um, I still had a lot of fun um, in all my classes, and I guess through that, I really found a new appreciation of movies, so it's I'm excited to bring what I know and have experienced and share it with other people. Yeah, very cool. Awesome. Have you always been interested in movies, or is that something that you got into a little bit later, closer to college? I've always been pretty interested in movies. I feel like I started really appreciating them like more is like just from beyond like a sitting down and watching them aspect to evolving more into thinking about as well as watching them so a bit more of an experiential approach actually my senior year of high school because we had a one of our english class options was a film class and uh, i found out about it freshman year and that was like the class I wanted to take senior year and I did and my teacher told me you should really take a film class in college and I signed up for one and it sort of evolved into a minor from there. <laughs> yeah like, like I said um, learning about films um, in college was like really eye-opening and also a big uh, aspect of that I think is there's this really amazing podcast called You Must Remember This by Karina Longworth. It's so good. Like it, she covers the secret and or forgotten history of Hollywood's first century. It's literally part of the introduction. Like I've listened to it so much that I can remember that part pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) But each season, it's a different topic of different aspects of Hollywood history. Like there was season on Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff, uh, the movies they made together and the movies they made apart. There was one on Song of the South and why why it was made and also why it's a racist movie. Mm-hmm. And let's see, there's also one on MGM, World War II in Hollywood. Oh, and one of the pretty interesting ones is um, about Charles Manson. Basically, it's how the culture of the late 60s in Hollywood was sort of influenced by the Manson and murders, but also how the culture of that period influenced 
Manson and his followers and just how it was all interconnected because he uh, at one point tried to get a recording contract and uh, he even um, interacted with one of the Beach Boys, oh. <laughs> Dennis oh my Wilson. God. Oh my god, what a wild <laughs> So it, it's really like a massive crossover of different people and including the fact that Sharon Tate was an actress and she was unfortunately one of the victims and just how all that um, intersex is just it's a really interesting story and um I, I feel like i've learned so much and learned like to how to view movies a little bit differently too so it's yeah if you're looking for a movie podcast that that one's amazing <laughs> oh that sounds really cool uh kind of related to that because you brought it up about the history of hollywood and older movies mm-hmm. what would you consider like an older classic movie in today's age because we, we talked about this a little bit with when we were reading the classic fiction oh, section. Yeah. What is considered, like, an older... What, what, are the, what are the characteristics that you're looking for? I guess, for me personally, I... Let's see, I consider, I guess, classic movies to be ones that are not historically recent. Like, I think, I think it's hard to, like, overall define what makes a um, classic movie, because I um, know of people who consider anything um post 70s to not be classic movie but there are also people who don't consider the 70s to be classics but like it's so it's hard to i guess define but like i what i look for i guess in the movies being able to connect with it and sort of i guess first and foremost like the aesthetics are important like editing and cinematography but also writing and storytelling and i feel like each decade you get different ways of, I guess what I'm looking for is um well first and foremost something I can connect with personally like the stories being told or the sort of behind the scenes details like costumes cinematography I guess I do consider um lately I've been looking a lot into different movements especially the ones I have the French new wave our uh, new queer cinema of like the 90s and late 80s. I guess sort of like horror. Um, I I guess the main I guess, sort of idea I consider older movies to be anything pre 2000s. That's what a lot of people, would, <laughs> a lot of the younger yeah. people would think that now anything made in the 1900s. <laughs> oh God, don't say it like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's just um, visually it's. A definite um, distinction between fashion and culture and just also historical time period. 2000s was like a shift and like like a lot happened with first few years and uh, really just things that have impacted our lives and um, you really I guess see that in movies too and like so it's at least for me really easy to see a distinction between movies that were made in the 90s and 2000s and it feels feels like different historical time periods even though they're like so close and like Mm -hmm. I was born in the 90s so (laughs) it it Mm -hmm. shouldn't feel like a huge difference but it kind of is it really does like if you watch clueless versus any other movie made now it's just drastically different yeah you can (laughs) tell the noticeable shift Mm -hmm. Uh, but what draws you to older movies uh i think it's a lot especially with the um a lot of the older ones it's the clothes (laughs) (laughs) like i'm really into um 30s 40s 50s um even some 60s fashion Mm -hmm. recent years i've 
been uh, dressing more um, vintage and it's a lot of fun and a lot something I feel comfortable in and when I'm watching the movies it's kind of like getting fashion inspiration uh, but also I get um anybody who listens from out of town which i know there are a couple of you but just know that bernadette is the most fashionable of the librarians here she's always dressed very nicely (laughs) not to throw you off i just wanted to add that in there (laughs) it's very cool (laughs) going back to uh what i said earlier i guess about uh history um the, I guess a lot of the behind-the-scenes stories of older movies, like, that really pulls me in. Like, there are just so many of them, like, and there's, like, details that, like, aren't immediately apparent. Like, I guess, sort of self-promotion, we're showing Casablanca next week, and while I was, um, sort of reviewing behind-the-scenes details, I stumbled upon slash remembered all sorts of details sort of behind-the-scenes details, a good portion of um, the actors in the movie were actually refugees from Europe, and a lot of them were Jewish refugees, and uh, two in particular, two actors in particular, were pretty uh, influential in German cinema. Uh, Conrad Veidt, he was in The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari in 1920. Uh, he In Casablanca, he plays Major Strasser, the sort of main villain and uh i uh i remembered seeing caligari and seeing his performance in it as cesare and um i've seen casablanca but i never connected him in the two ends of his career because that was like one of the starts caligari was one of his earliest roles and sadly casablanca was the last movie released during his lifetime he um died in 1943 pretty sad Mm -hmm. (laughs) because he but he did have like this interesting career in silent movies and sound film. And also he was in one of the, don't quote me on this, but I think it's one of the first queer movies mm. ever made. It's called Different From The Others. Uh, it was made and released in 1919. And it was believed destroyed because, well, the Nazis were not big fans of um the gays so (laughs) (laughs) even though berlin was like the gay central of europe at the time yeah yeah it was like considered one of the most liberal places to be open and like live and going back to conrad fight he was actually uh bisexual and um his him being in this movie was like i feel like a pretty impressive moment in movie history but it was considered to be lost or destroyed but luckily i think some of it has still exists so they those who try to destroy it failed which uh, is good for history i think yeah, um, definitely absolutely we love to see we love to see the rescue of materials oh mm-hmm. yeah yeah and then um so connor Wright, he uh he immigrated to the u.s because he um uh, so he wasn't Jewish, but his wife was, and he refused to denounce her or divorce her and basically told government that he w- wasn't going to do any of that. So he got himself blacklisted, but he did it for a very, very good cause. Definitely. Um, and the other actor is Peter Lorre, plays Ugarte in Casablanca, and he was also had a pretty big career in Germany. One of his early movies, I guess the one that sort of was a breakout performance was is called M. Uh, it was directed by Fritz Long. He directed the movie Metropolis, which is considered to be one of the 
first sci-fi movies and he went on to have a pretty impressive Hollywood career too because um, Peter Lorre and Conrad Veidt he also left Germany for due to um, uh, the political climate to mm -hmm. put it lightly <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but yeah so uh, it's, and M is one of, also considered to be, um, like, I view it as more of a horror movie, but it's also very much a bit of a film noir, but it was, like, one of the first sound movies in Germany, and, uh, Peter Lorre was lead in it, and it was, like, that's a really, um, I feel like a detail that you don't really think about because, um, unfortunately, American moviegoers aren't always exposed to foreign films. And I know I wouldn't even know M existed unless I had seen it in my film class, which I did. And Yeah, I would say even, <laughs> like, um, especially older foreign movies because it's oh, yeah. still hard for, like, modern foreign movies to make it over here. Mm -hmm. You see the reaction to Parasite winning, all those, like, I've never even seen it because I have to read. Like, yes, it's, it's fine. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but older ones, yeah. I have not heard of M. I have actually heard of Metropolis. Surprising, oh. I've never seen it. But uh, I do feel like with success stories like Parasite and um, and Squid Games, people have gotten a little bit better about reading subtitles. Plus, I feel like everything I watch now, even in English, like I watch with subtitles on because I can't understand what anybody's saying. Oh, I don't yeah. know if I'm just getting old <laughs> or if like the sound, because all the sounds now are digital, so it's just the mixing is different, but I straight up cannot hear what people are saying in movies now. So I just have subtitles on anyway, and I feel like I'm not alone in that. So maybe that's sort of going to make it easier, hopefully, maybe, <laughs> for foreign movies to come over, because you're reading the subtitles anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, at least in older movies, you have a lot of stage actors crossing over into film, especially in the early sound era. So they were trained to speak, which is helpful for, you know, knowing what people are saying. Yeah. You don't have to listen to Jesse Pinkman m mumble through oh his whole God. show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Uh, uh, so you're having a movie in um, a couple, what is it, next week? Oh, yeah. you're having Casablanca next week. We were just mm -hmm. talking about that. But um, what do you feel like is the importance of libraries and movies? Well, I feel like libraries are a really good place to come and see movies, especially those that uh, aren't always shown or re-shown in theaters. I've sort of been gearing more towards older movies because that's what I enjoy, but also because I feel like people don't get the exposure to them. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, I feel like, like The Wizard of Oz is on TV all the time, but oh. this Casablanca, I never see it advertised as like being on like TBS or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the first movie you showed, The Thin Man, I had not even heard of. <laughs> and I think a lot of people who came, well, that's not true, people who came in had heard of it, but not everyone yeah. is able to access it, which is what we provide. That's kind of what libraries oh. are all about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I know that if I hadn't like been coordinating a movie screening at my last job that I wouldn't have like uh, been able to sort of go down a rabbit hole because I did a 50s Fright Night uh, where I did two movies from the 1950s. One of them was Creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh, very good movie, highly recommend. And the other one I did was The Horror of Dracula, aka Dracula, um, Hammer Horror's 
first Dracula movie in their Dracula series, and uh, I sort of ended up going down a hammer horror rabbit hole after that. I watched a few of the Dracula movies, and somewhere amidst all that, I was looking at the Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee team-ups, and I found the other movie we're doing this month, um, Hound of the Baskervilles. It's a surprisingly good movie. Um, a lot of people consider it to be one of the best Sherlock Holmes adaptations, and I, I definitely see that. It's But it's something I feel like, unless you're looking for it, you're not going to really see it, and I really want to be able to share, especially the harder to find movies with people, and also try and tie, tie in some, bring in more diverse films as well, especially mm-hmm. older films, because there, there were movies that were made, like a lot of queer movies, a lot of movies featuring black and non-white characters, and but due to the passage of time and just, I think, a deliberate attempt at forget forgetting some erasure yeah erasure yeah like due to that you don't always like come across it unless you're listening to like a history of hollywood podcast (laughs) or like you're on wikipedia and like looking at say vincent price's filmography and you discover oh hey this person did this and also this movie was influential because it it was the first of its kind or other details like that but like in terms of film history a lot of erasure is def- is a huge problem that you just want to shed a light on the yeah, erasure yeah, yeah i, I want to show i i want to be able to share all different kinds of movies with people rather than the set ones that are considered to be um classics like in my so I majored in English literature and one of the things we covered was what was considered to be part of the um, classics canon and it was a lot of um, and still is unfortunately a lot of dead white guys and with filmmakers they're um, oftentimes the male filmmakers and also the male white filmmakers they tend to get the um, the main spot in film history but there are so many that just don't get talked about or their movies aren't shown like Oscar Michaud was the fir- one of the first black filmmakers like ever and he made all sorts of great movies but people deliberately forgot him um and Dorothy Arzner was a she was one of the early female filmmakers and she was one of the only active ones during I think the 30s and 40s and she was also in she was also openly gay so and she made some pretty impressive movies, but unfortunately, not all of them were kept alive in the public consciousness. If anything, few of them were probably even like erased from mm-hmm. the narrative. Mm-hmm. But Rear Window is a great movie, but there's more <laughs> filmmakers than Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can expand our repertoire a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's definitely like I feel like definitely uh, the responsibility <laughs> of the library to keep alive a diverse group of movies and filmmakers and i think that's going to be a really great thing that you're bringing into this library because uh i don't really watch a lot of movies yeah neither i mean same but it's also as you were saying the history kind of builds on itself and the same thing with Mm -hmm. books so all the stuff that has been censored or erased people are still kind of influenced by and not even realize where it's coming from Mm-hmm. Basically, the Hayes Code just ruined everything for oh, everyone. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, you see things that are mirrored in older movies, and then people don't know why they're still doing it. 
Which yeah. some of them are good and some of them are bad, like the barrier gaze trope, which needs to be done. <laughs> I think we're done with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see more diverse movies come back into public consciousness, which mm-hmm. again, as you said, is the role of the library. Yeah. So I think it'll be good to have more diverse and interesting, obscure yeah. movies back in the public consciousness, which as you were saying is the role of libraries kind of is to feature historical diverse stories yeah we want to get everything we want to get everything because it's yeah. interesting and it's been you know everything is interconnected so you can't just forget a part of it and not be influenced by it anyway <laughs> we're going to end on a fun question uh not that the questions weren't fun but this is my favorite type of question what is your favorite movie oh yeah it's kind of a big question <laughs> yeah i i feel like with me i like have my favorites for different reasons and like um let's see yeah it's a Big question. Um, I guess some of my top favorites overall, I really love the movie movie series The Thin Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a really great mystery series and see. Uh, I guess a new sort of favorite of mine has been, um, so for Christmas I got uh, the Universal Monsters complete collection, uh, all the movies in the, um, I guess, sort of classic monsters canon. And I've been watching my way through those, and I think some of my top favorites would have to be um, The Invisible Man and Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, and definitely Creature from the Black Lagoon. That one's that's pretty good. <laughs> like I'm already mentally planning another like screening, but here um, because it, it's just I feel like. A, just a good movie to sort of sit down and watch and guess oh do you want to hear something funny oh, yeah. <laughs> so my favorite movie is actually an homage to all those movies it's the mel brooks's uh young frankenstein oh, that's yeah. like hands down my favorite movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean mel brooks is definitely one of my favorite directors <laughs> like i love um his movies young frankenstein uh, let's see. Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. Of course, of course. Yes. Blazing Saddles. <laughs> that's, that's it's actually, when you were talking about the the Sherlock Holmes movie, uh, you, you said Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, and I thought to myself, they're both in Star Wars. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Different eras, but they are both in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And, I, and, like, it didn't really, like, I didn't, like, I knew about them being in Star Wars before I knew about them being like icons of Hammer Horror movies mm-hmm. and just I guess it's one of those connections that you think isn't that big of a deal but then like you really start looking at the stuff you sort of missed and it's like it's all connected yeah, yeah. <laughs> who are they in Star Wars Peter Cushing is Moff Tarkin mm-hmm. or Grand Moff Tarkin in in A New Hope. Uh, and spoiler alert, he gets blown up on the Death Star <laughs> on the first one. Oh, if yes. you haven't seen the movie, and then Christopher Lee plays Count Dooku in the last two movies mm-hmm. of the prequels, so Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. So different eras, <laughs> but cool, yeah. One of my favorite like sort of behind the scenes details is that. Um, Peter Cushing's uh, costume boots were like very uncomfortable so (laughs) in all the scenes that aren't like full body shots he's actually wearing slippers (laughs) I did actually know that and I thought about sharing it but I didn't want to be a total Star Wars nerd (laughs) just embrace it I love that that's what I would do though it's like wearing sweatpants at a Zoom meeting oh (laughs) anyway 
I don't even turn on my camera anymore. <laughs> I actually don't purposefully do not have a camera at my desk for that reason. Mm-hmm. If I'm listening, I'll type in if you need to. Yeah. Anyway, I'm usually at the at desk for meetings anyway. Mm-hmm. My favorite movies are not <laughs> older than I think that nine. I don't know, actually. <laughs> I was going to say my favorite movie is like any Ghibli movie, but now I don't know if those were 80s or 90s oh. or 2000s. I don't pay attention to these. Yeah. <laughs> what are What is time? Who even knows? Uh, <laughs> I can't even tell you what the oldest movie I've seen was. Oh, can I tell you something? Yeah. I had a friend who for years wanted me to watch Phantom of the Opera because it's her favorite musical. And she's like, you just, this is in high school too. She's like, you just have to watch it. So the like, one with, um like the most recent one that came out the one where the actress from shameless was in it yeah 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 that's what she was talking about and i said yeah okay i'll watch it and then it came on late one weekend night was the fan of the opera i'm like all right i'll watch it so i watched the whole thing and i told her the next day and she's like what do you think about like this line i'm like yeah like what about this actress like that she wasn't in it what version did you watch the 1920 silent version oh Oh, it's a musical (laughs) (laughs) i was like i don't you said watch Family Opera. It was on. I just watched whatever it was on. <laughs> yeah, so that's how I'm with older movies. Interesting. Interesting. I can't imagine watching Family Opera and it's silent. But I guess yeah, there's probably a silent movie for it. Oh. Yeah, or yeah. I guess there definitely <laughs> is because yeah, she I saw it. <laughs> I mean, might be the only one who's seen it. But it was interesting. I just wanted to know what the story was. <laughs> anyway, do you know that? Um, well, I forget what her name is. Her name is like. Emmy or Emma. Something, something. Rothens? Yeah. I forget. Yeah. I forget. The actress in Shameless. But she was, like, really young in that movie. She mm-hmm. was, like, I think she was, like, underage. Her oh. parents had to sign, like, special paperwork wow. for her to be in this movie, which I think is a little sus, but... A little bit. I've never <laughs> seen it, so <laughs> I don't oh. know what the kind of scenes are in it, but... Yeah. I mean, nothing too scandalous, but, like... Still. Still. How old was the love interest playing... The guy I, don't, I forget. Is it it's, a love interest? Not really, I guess. It kind of uh, is. I mean, uh, it's pretty chaste, but, um, I mean, Gerard Butler's in it, and he's, like, I don't know. He's, like, 40 years old or something like that. Maybe he's, like, in his 30s. I don't know. And then, um, and then the guy who plays, um, the boyfriend that she winds up getting engaged to, it's the guy, have you watched, he's, uh... He's in a bunch of new horror movies right now. Uh, Patrick Wilson. Yeah, <laughs> it's him. It's him, right? Yeah. Am I thinking? Of, yeah. <laughs> you like, immediately knew that. <laughs> I only know that because I've just seen like the one, one of in, who are they playing? It's him and this other actress, and they play like the ghost hunting people. Oh yeah, um, Vera Farmiga in the Conjuring. Yes, series. the Conjuring <laughs> series, and then I saw. One of the more recent Conjuring series, the one where, like, the guy, like, it's based off of, like, a true event of, like, the guy who, like, killed somebody because he was possessed. I don't, it was kind of recent. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I forget what it was called. I did not do it. This is is how off the cuff we are sometimes. I think it was, like, Conjuring the devil made me do it or something oh yeah it was something like that and i i did watch that because it was so funny (laughs) what a great title (laughs) honestly like if if a horror movie is funny enough i'll watch it or if a horror movie is good enough like do you ever watch did you watch uh haunting of hill house Mm -hmm. on Uh, netflix the 
the series? Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, <laughs> that is actually an excellent series. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Like, I mean, we're all about to be kicked off of our parents' Netflix accounts. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah. So get in while you still can. Get in, watch it while you still can. <laughs> and I'm a wimp, and I it was terrifying to me. But I still watched the whole thing. Oh, Haunting? <laughs> yeah. Did Because I told you, or did you watch it before we met? Now I can't remember the passage of time. <laughs> it might have been because you recommended it. All I remember is I watched one episode late at night. Oh, no. Oh, it was the Broken Neck Lady episode. The Bent Neck Lady? Bent oh, neck lady. my God. <laughs> That's the title of the episode. Uh, watched that by myself at night, and I had to turn off and go watch, like, kids' movies. <laughs> like, this, I can't do this. I legit, the first time I saw that show... Even after I finished watching it, I did not sleep for five days because the bent neck lady, like, I was convinced the bent neck lady was in my closet. I, like, I just kept on, like, dreaming, like, those half-sleep dreams, and it's just, like, I did not sleep for five days. It's not my favorite. I think it's really hard to land an ending to a horror movie mm-hmm. and show. Yeah. I would not describe the ending as nailing it. But the entire show is so good. The writing is so good. The acting is so good. It's so good. I do recommend it. Cinematography, like all. This isn't an old thing. They just made, and it's based off of um, Shirley Jackson's. Yeah, the the, Hunting of Hill House. Is it also? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's an older movie called The Haunting. Yeah. Which is also an excellent movie. And then there's a really terrible (laughs) remake. Oh yeah. (laughs) With um. It's got Liam Neeson and um, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta and Luke and Owen Wilson. Yeah, Owen Wilson's in it. (laughs) Yeah, I I haven't seen it. It's excellent. He gets his head knocked off. Oh, you get to see (laughs) Owen Wilson without his head. It's fantastic. I don't want to spoil the ending, but it's the most like the funniest. It's so bad. (laughs) So bad. I won't give it away, but somebody's like giving this big speech, and you can like barely hear what she's saying because of the ghost in it. Anyway, yeah, it's not good, but it's hilarious. So if you like funny movies, yeah, do that. (laughs) Anyway, or just watch Haunting of Hill House on Netflix while you still have access to your shared account with people. Unless you're the pay, unless you are the owner of the Netflix account that everybody shares, in which case, good for you. You make this country go round. (laughs) Or you can watch any of those older uh, classic horror movies with the classic monsters, because I can't really do horror anymore. I thought I could. And then I watched Hereditary. I'm like, no, I can't. That's a scary one. I hated it. I had to read about I wasn't... Brian, my husband, loves scary movies. And he and I have a back and forth because I like spicy foods, mm-hmm. and he does not. And he likes scary movies, <laughs> and I do not. And he's like, how can you eat this unpleasant food? It's so spicy. Why do you like it? And I was like, why do you watch scary movies that's so unpleasant and uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. It comes so, from the same place. It, does, it must come from yeah. the same same place. The adrenaline rush. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite, I guess, movies that I didn't expect to like was um, the abominable Dr. Fibes. It's oh. like the perfect, um, like it's creepy, but it's also just kind of has dark humor, but also sort of a campy vibe. And it was like probably the only movie that, um, the only horror movies that, that I was like unsettling, but I went back and watched it again because it was just like, I thought it was really good. <laughs> Is that an older movie too? Yeah, it's um, early 70s, Vincent Price. Um, but oh. interestingly, Joseph Cotton is also in it. Um, he was in uh, Citizen Kane and a bunch of other Orson Welles movies, um, even an Alfred Hitchcock movie. And like them coming together in the same movie, it was like, 
it was pretty cool to watch. Mm-hmm. That sounds cool. I like a campy horror movie. That's what I think they should be. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they all should be. You know what they should also do at the end of horror movies, too, is show, like, the gag reel. Oh. Especially, like, when they know they have a really scary movie. Like, they're, like, they should show all, like, the flubs and, like, the messed up scenes at the end. Yes. do it Or do a double feature where you have, like, a nice movie at the end. Or, like, a short, like, a Pixar short. Because... That would take away my responsibility to look something up. <laughs> Some of those Pixar shorts are very emotional, That's though. That's true. But it's oh, like a yeah. catharsis. It's not, yeah. like, devastating. When they first showed um, My Neighbor Totoro, it was a double feature. This might not be entirely correct, but I remember hearing about this. It was a double feature with The Grave of the Fireflies, which oh. I've never heard of as a devastating war movie. Uh, and then My Neighbor Totoro was, like, a very sweet, innocent, like, coming-of-age <laughs> movie. <laughs> Which would have been fine, but they put uh, My Neighbor Totoro first. Oh! So, <laughs> I think that was the reason it got made, was because they were making... Uh, this also could be wrong, but they were making Grave of the Fireflies, which they knew would be successful because it's, like, an excellent movie. Um, but they weren't sure about My Neighbor Totoro if people would enjoy it, because it's kind of a simple story. But they packaged it together, and then everybody left after My Neighbor Totoro because they didn't want to watch a devastating <laughs> war movie after yeah. such a nice family movie. This is what I've read. I fact-checked me later, but anyway, something like that. Yeah. But put the horror movie first, and then the nice movie after. Yeah, no, I can't imagine. Like, I feel like that's such a shift. Like, oh. you really have to, it really has got to, you got to go from, like, the sadness. You got to get the bad news out of the way before you get to the good news. Yeah, don't end on, like, <laughs> don't end on devastation. Heart-wrenching. It's like, I don't know. Why would you want people to leave the theater just completely <laughs> done with life? <laughs> it's anyway. a beautiful movie. Both are beautiful movies. Mm-hmm. Just maybe prepare yourself for Greer the Fireflies before you watch it. Okay. It's not my favorite. My favorite one is... Princess Modern, okay. That's less devastating. I've seen Kiki's Delivery Service. That's also very cute. I love that movie, too. (laughs) Anyway, remember how I said I wanted a nice 30-minute episode? (laughs) (laughs) Movies are interesting. Movies are interesting. Uh, Speaking of movies, let's wrap this into um, our upcoming events. Mm -hmm. All right, so as we have mentioned a couple of times, On February 8th at 6 p.m., we are hosting a screening of Casablanca. And, um, Bernadette, like, tell us about, like, what people can expect when they go into the movie. Do you guys watch, just watch the movie? Do you have a discussion before or after? What kind of snacks can they expect? (laughs) Uh, so, uh, we have fresh popcorn made right before the showing. So, and it's, um, like, real stuff, um... Like, in a popcorn machine, like, they have at movie theaters, which is really cool. Hopefully we won't set off the fire alarm. <laughs> <laughs> That's the goal? Yeah. You gotta set off the fire. You either have to set off the security alarm here once, or you have to set up the fire alarm. And you've already done one. So now you don't have to do the other. Yeah. yeah. You're all set. <laughs> um, but yeah, so... For the movies, I, I've been giving little talks beforehand, a little bit, um, I guess, behind-the-scenes details or just um, an introduction to the movie. Just, I guess it's usually detailed stuff that I find, yeah, it's things I find interesting, but I want to share with people. Sort of been mentally framing them as my uh, Turner Classic Movies introduction. Oh, oh cute. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. So that's kind of the vibe I'm going for. Yeah. Very cool. Bernadette classic movies. Yeah. 
Very nice. And then on February 22nd, um, it is the rescheduled Hound of Baskervilles at 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. So, and then um, also on Wednesdays is Yoga with Tracy. And on days that we are not hosting the movies, it'll be up in the meeting room. And on days that we are hosting the movies, it'll be in the children's room, which is also a very nice space for it. Mm-hmm. There won't be any kids in there at the time. The, the children's room will be closed, but <laughs> Yoga will be in there. Um, and on Saturday, February 25th at 10 a.m., we are having a Frederick Law Olmsted presentation. Uh, Izzy Abrams, our, one of our children's librarians, is going to be giving a talk about his life, his projects, his contributions to the North Shore. So if you're interested in that, as a, there is no registration, so just show up at 10 a.m. and you can learn all about Frederick Law Olmsted. And moving on to teen programming, we have the Anime Club is meeting on Tuesday, February 14th, Valentine's Day, and Tuesday, February 28th at 4 p.m. So come, we'll watch some anime, we'll do some fun Valentine's things on the first meeting be a lot of fun. Um, And correction for the newsletter, because these holidays sneak up on me, not the 20th, but on February, Monday 27th at 4 p.m., the Kinsey Knights will be meeting. That is our teen LGBTQIA club. So come for that. You know, same deal. Fun crafts, hanging out, talking, planning meetings. And for the children's room, we have Mary Beth Mays live in the children's room. So come on Tuesday, February 21st at 10 a.m. No registration required for a fun, friendly show. And very exciting, on Saturday, February 11th at 10.30 a.m. On Saturday, February 11th at 10.30 a.m., we have an author visit. Sarah Hazel, author of Schubert, will be coming to do a little reading and talk about her book, which is about Schubert, which is the story of a very brave seal and the impossible journey they go on. is a very fun uh, little children's story, so absolutely come and check that out. Apparently, it's based on the real-life events of a local famous seal, so that'll be cute. Again, that is going to be Saturday, February 11th at 10.30 a.m. Thank you guys for joining us and listening in on this episode, and Bernadette, thank you for joining us and uh, talking to us about movies. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for having me. (laughs) It's a lot of fun. Don't forget, everyone, keep coming to the library and keep reading.